Hey, good people. This is Sharika, EB, and Sabrina. You're listening to The Kickback. Glad you decided to pull up. Yo, what's good? Beautiful people all over the globe, literally. Like, we really have listeners all over the globe. And it's something that we are excited about. And we're happy that you're tuned in right now to another edition of The Kickback. And for those of you who were listening last week, you know, we told you that we were going to dive back into this same conversation of protesting in sports and the last dance. But before we start with all of that, we're going to do our weekly tip check. Sabrina, Sharika, where y'all at? I'm going to have a cold temperature because cold I associate with fear and like anxiety. Why did I let my husband get me into the deep dive of YouTube and missing persons? I don't hey. know. <laughs> but I watched yeah, a nah. whole thing yesterday. It was like an hour and a half on YouTube called Missing 411. And I never knew that we had this issue, not only in America, but across the world with people going missing in national parks. Like they don't have to keep up with how many people go missing. It is a thing sure. So today, I like even when I um, showed up to work, I didn't get out of my car because it was still dark. And I was like looking over my shoulder and I'm like, girl, you're Christian. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But I'm like, also people be missing though. Uh, the back of my work has like a whole bunch of woods and I even like you can come in two ways I came in the longer way away because I didn't want to come in beside the forest today so I'm probably like a good 32 degrees I'm, oh, no. I'm looking over my shoulder days asleep and I'm awake listening to the sounds outside because I'm like where are all these people where are all these children and I was like camping that's dead I, love, I know I told y'all I love outdoors and national parks but I never knew don't get into it you guys yeah i'm not i'm not watching <laughs> oh, that kind of oh stuff. but but also get into it because if you ever <laughs> decide to have children it is a reminder don't let anybody keep their eye you keep your own eyes on your kid because a lot of mm. time it was like oh billy bob you can go with susan oh da, da, da. and then they come back be like oh we lost billy bob <laughs> what the blank <laughs> As much as I'm like afraid of whatever is snatching these people, everybody would have to be more afraid of me if they lost my child. Let's just oh, Lord. That, that temperature would shoot right up. <laughs> Cobblers and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I'm feeling a little bit just cold. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh no. I'm feeling I'm feeling probably a good 60, 62, which is pretty good getting in the fall season, not here in Florida, of course, but it's the fall season. And it's a little down because we are in Florida hurricane season. And so it's a little frightening out here in these streets. Thank God we're doing okay at this point. But you never know. These things change in these storms. Switch it up and start heading your way out of nowhere. You know, praying for the people who are dealing with all of that. EB, what's good with you? I am feeling good. Definitely still in the 80s range. Things are in the best way. I can say up on my end. Trying to just stay positive with life especially mm-hmm. with just things that are coming up. And when I say things, not necessarily things personally for me, but as you just alluded to, lovely hurricane season that's going on. So just seeing people who are impacted already by mm-hmm. some of the storms and to know certain things that are just coming up. People still dealing with COVID, of course. Some people yeah. don't think that COVID is real. You have an election coming up. Oh, Lord, yes, um, we sure do. So not allowing those things to dictate my emotions. So I'm definitely in the 80s, just trying to stay positive because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Ah, yes, it is. But sometimes it's a little just like 
like overwhelming. You'd be like, it's too much though. And that's when you gotta watch Heart of Dixie on Netflix. <laughs> it's one of the most like joyful, just love, love. Like, going into a whole nother role and be entertained, which sports does that too. I'm sure EB, for people who tune in, that's part of the reason we do that to get away from our present reality, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm going to kick off our invite today, and it is another sports player. This week, our invite goes out to a special young lady. This young lady is ranked number one by Women's Tennis Association and is the first Asian player to hold the top rank in singles. She uh, is a before, before, uh -huh, you continue, before you continue, before you continue, because I heard mm -hmm. you say Asian. We will say. I'm not done yet. I okay, know okay, she's part okay, Asian. Okay, okay, Evie, okay, I okay. got you and your okay. people. I'm, I'm not okay. gonna let you down. You be okay. worried about that, and I'm like, wait, it's not Serena. <laughs> <laughs> so keep going, because I'm like, who are we talking? About? Continue, continue. Okay, but she, I only say that because she does play for Japan. That's why I said that part. On her Asian side, she is the first Asian player to hold a top rank in singles and is the reigning champion at the u.s open and eb wanted to cut me off to say she is born to a haitian father and a japanese mother is that what you was talking about eb that is exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> you wanted me to make sure i got them roots right just Listen, making sure represent. just making sure it is naomi osaka and i'm not even like like, you know, I've said I'm not into sports that much, and I'm even less into tennis. There may be some of the other major sports that I know a little bit about. But this lady, I've heard a lot about her because she's just so good. And not only is she great on the court, but her spirit is something that I've been admiring. She has been using her platform lately as she's been playing tennis when we have to wear these masks. She's been having the names of Brianna Taylor, Elijah McClain, all the young people of color that have lost their lives and that we're still seeking justice for, she's been highlighting them. And yes, she's there to grow and further in her career as a tennis player, but she's also there for her people and want to keep the legacies of these people alive and also call for justice for these people. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to invite her to the kickback, but also her kindness, willing to share the spotlight. On one instance, she was playing a young girl named Coco, 15 year old young tennis player, who's obviously a good enough player because she's playing against Naomi. She did end up not winning. And when it was time for Naomi to give her interview and talk about the game and all that, she asked Coco to join in the interview so that she can get some highlight and some recognition and be able to speak. Of course, you know, when you're going in, you're putting all your all into and you don't win. It could be upsetting, but, you know, Naomi encouraged her and said, you know what? It's better than going into the locker room and crying in the showers. Come out here, speak, and let the people hear from you. And just to be able to share your platform, sports can be very competitive. But instead of just keeping this shine and all the glory to you, Naomi's extending that to other young girls to make them feel empowered and to encourage them. So I admire Naomi for her kindness to others, but also support as well as uh, highlighting and calling for justice during her time on the court. That's why Naomi gets our invite for today. Shout out to Naomi Osaka. Last week we teased 
that we would talk about the last dance because we're into it, okay? We, <laughs> we, are. we are. I know it's been a couple months since it was actually on TV because it came on network TV, I believe ESPN, and I'm not sure where else it was. But at the time, I, I was interested but busy and I didn't catch it like I wanted to. But they brought it to Netflix, so I got into it. Sabrina was into it. EB been on it. I'm going to talk about it because we were excited and we had a lot to say amongst each other. We was like, we got to bring this to the podcast. So EB, can you give them a little rundown of The Last Dance? Is this a dance competition? I mean, they don't know what's going on. Let the people know what The Last Dance is. Definitely. So one of the best ways to describe The Last Dance is imagine that you are at the top of whatever you're doing. So those of you that are in the office as you're listening to this, or those of you who are truck drivers or you travel for a living, just imagine you're at the pinnacle of your career and you're the best at what you specifically do. If that's being a mother, um, a teacher, being a father, being a musician, being an athlete, you are the best and people look at you and look at your peers as just the measure of success. So a president of basketball operations for the Chicago Bulls basically told a head coach that no matter what you do, this season, you will not be back next year. And one of the reasons for that was because the late Jerry Cross felt that it wasn't necessarily the coaches who made things happen, or at times he didn't feel it was the players. He felt like it was upper management and the executive level who put these pieces together. So credit should be due to them for putting these pieces of the puzzle together. So throughout this last season, the 1997 to 1998 season, cameras, as they always did, followed the Chicago Bulls through the highs and the lows of what took place that season as they finished off as NBA champions for that season. One of the other things that were interesting about this is the time lapses between of going from 1984 mm -hmm. to 1998 or 1985 to 1993 and, and as they were bouncing back and forth. So it's just basically footage of covering the Chicago Bulls. So everybody was just like, this was a Michael Jordan docuseries. Of course, he was the focal point of it because not saying people didn't care about the other athletes, but he was the face of that team, that franchise for more than a decade. And it was just interesting to just see what really goes on behind the scenes of sports. Like for me, very enlightening, but also just the commitment level of these athletes. As Evie said, it was about the Bulls players. So they highlighted a lot of their top players and kind of gave some of their background, where they grew up, some of their highlights of what led them to getting into the NBA and some of their personal lives. Also, how it was to play amongst each other, as well as against other, you know, well-noted players from other teams. What was like one of your top moments of The Last Dance? Maybe it was like episode five or six or something like that. And they were asking Michael Jordan, like, how he feels about possibly being considered a tyrant. I'm going to find the quote, so give me a moment, because it was so powerful. Like, I literally was moved to tears, as was Michael Jordan. Like he got choked up, right? Because mm -hmm. he was like, I need to do whatever it takes to get these people to be on my level, you mm -hmm. know? So I'm running this race and if I have to drag you and you get bloody, I'm fine with that because you're still beside me. And that resonated with me because I feel like I try to bring that same sort of passion to the things I do in life, to my faith, mm -hmm. to my work. And sometimes I can be considered hard or maybe even the B word. And I could just identify with him being like hurt because he's like, you know what? 
it's not that we want to be that, but we know sometimes it takes that. Yeah. And we're fine with that, but it's hurtful because it's like, I mean, you don't want to be at odds with people. So geez Louise, it was such a beautiful moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to find it. So you guys shoot the breeze. All right. You be telling me about your moments while Sabrina looks for the quote. Some of my best moments of The Last Dance would have to be just the natural or the pure beauty of the sport of basketball. Mm. And what you said earlier, as far as just the hard work that went into it, I felt like what it did for me as an avid sports fan, and I don't say, say more importantly, but a little more deeper, I guess you could say a Jordan fanatic, is I guess seeing a layer peeled back from him. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I knew Michael... And I'm saying I knew Michael. Yes, I met him. So I'm going to say I knew him. Okay. Um, I knew Michael as just this relentless individual who pursued greatness at all costs. As Mm -hmm. Sabrina alluded to him punching his teammate, which was Steve Kerr, who's actually the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. Who's okay with that? If you watch the documentary, he was Mm -hmm. like, well, it was whatever. Like, I just had to fight back. I wasn't going to let him bully me. I was going to say he wasn't okay with it. Yeah, no, I'm saying okay as in, like, he understood what Michael was doing. And I'm saying okay because now he, like, if you watch him now, when he talks about it, he laughs and jokes about it. He was like, I'm not going to run and cry. Yeah, so like it'll be two. Well, it's a lot. Like you said, like I, I really could fool out probably 10 things out of every episode. Mm. But one would definitely have to be the way that Kobe was still honored in this yes. series. That brought me to tears, too. How he called Mike his big brother. That was definitely something very, very interesting to me. And it was like heartfelt as a fan just to see Kobe speak about his big brother. Something else would definitely have to be Michael Jordan's sense of humor that I never knew he had. And I say that as in when mm-hmm. he's joking with his friends on the planet when he's gambling over a quarter he's going back and forth for little dollar bills and you're talking about a multi-million dollar athlete who's Mm -hmm. mega icon and it's just like come on mike um and then i think i don't know a lot of his trash talking him winning oh it's a lot watch it sharika recommended it for you guys to watch it last week just watch it it's so many good takeaways that i'm just like mike is definitely definitely just next level with it and i would say a bittersweet moment would have to be his reaction after winning the 1996 Mm -hmm. nba finals on father's day and that being the first one that his dad was it there to witness in person? I was going to say that was my top moment. When he won that and he was bawling, it was so sad. Like, it brought tears to my eyes just because it was a horrible situation for your dad to, like, be murdered. Him and his dad were so close, and his dad was beside him through his whole journey, was really a huge part of being in basketball. And then it being on Father's Day, this is the first championship he wasn't there for. But just also to just see the human side of Michael Jordan, because we see, you know, like Serena says, just that strong drive that maybe a lot of us don't have. Some people do, but just to be so dedicated and committed, it is almost like not natural for a lot of people. That's why he's so amazing. And that's why he's not like everyone else. But to see that there is that heart human side that all of us can resonate and relate to. I mean, I can still hear that man sobbing. It is, it was so powerful. It was absolutely beautiful. It 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 was. was beautiful because what we're seeing, and I think what was shocking for me in this one, just like their sheer ability and their gracefulness in basketball, because mm-hmm. I love dance and the things I was like, these, these guys could be ballet dancers over here. <laughs> they're jumping in their legs and their strength. So we associate mm-hmm. these athletes with like the masculine of the masculine. Right. And then you see these, this other side of them, like the, you see like the full spectrum of what it means to be human. 
the joys, mm-hmm. the pain, the pushing yourself to the max. It was just so good. <laughs> okay, really so I, I found the quote, when and bear with me to... because it's about a paragraph long, but it's worth every word. They asked him at the end of one episode, like, what's your response to the fact that your teammates were like, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, he was an a-hole. Mm-hmm. This is his response, and it might not be in the right order, so MJ, forgive me for that. My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. If you don't want to live that regimented mentality, then you don't need to be alongside of me because I'm going to ridicule you until you get on the same level as me. And if you don't get on the same level, then it's going to be hell for you. Look, winning has a price and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. And I earned that right because my teammates who came after me didn't endure all the things that I endured. Once you join the team, you live in a certain standard that I played the game with, and I wasn't going to take anything less. Now, if that means I have to go in there and get in your ASS a little bit, then I did that. You guys saw my teammates. The one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't effing do. When Mm. people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Well, that's you because you never want anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win to be a part of that as well. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Right. <laughs> episode ended. And I was like, why have I not been standing this man my whole life? <laughs> so but you can just see in that his heart, like his soul was in it. He may have been harsh, but it came from such a good place. I did feel sorry for Steve Farrell. He just uh, didn't lay off the guy. <laughs> he didn't lay off. But wait, before you go on, I just have to, I want to tell you how bad Sabrina is now standing for Michael Jordan. Sabrina was like, I'm about to go get me some Jordans, okay? I need to be about this Jordan life. For the listeners who don't know me and my husband, like my husband is flip-flops all year long, nice pants and flip-flops. You know, he's just that typical Florida man. The last time I bought a pair of sneakers, when was I in college? It was like 2009 and I bought it because my sorority, we had to step and they're like, uh, Sabrina, you can't come through with the flat. And you know, I had running sneakers and they were a pair of Nikes, but that's the last time I bought like fashionable sneakers. And most people will say like, Evie and Sharika, you've known me for like six, well, Evie longer. Y'all probably have never really seen me in sneakers. Not really. Not yeah, like part of me want to say maybe once or twice during the summer, just when yeah, I see I you riding say a bike. Running or something. Right. Yeah, like, like something but, doing athletic. But that's not com- like yeah, definitely not common. So that gives you guys like a backdrop of how into MJ I am. I'm gonna buy myself a pair, and you know my husband listened. It was gonna be a surprise, but that's fine because they get ready to take the flip flops off. Go ahead and pull out a pair of socks because you're getting a pair too. We're coming through with the Jordans because I just feel I need to support. <laughs> I need to support. I'm literally about to cry again right now because I'm so inspired by him. Please don't take this as being sacrilegious. Well, I will say anybody great. I was going to say it's kind of like when you come in contact with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you have to change. When you have a real encounter with something great, it changes you. And that is how I was with the last dance. I had that encounter and I'm like wow that is inspiring and it changes you and next thing you know you're wearing sneakers hey nothing wrong with that shout out to that like it's definitely a lot of just top moments one of the things that like surprised me as much as Michael Jordan was a tyrant and whatever else he really liked 
and loved his teammates. He really cared about people. And I loved when they were talking about his security guard, Gus. I don't know. Yeah, it was. It was definitely Gus. Okay, good. He was just so close to him after his dad had passed. Like, he kind of adopted him as a second dad and was there for Gus when Gus was going through cancer and just like how he really cared about people, his teammates, and he just wanted to hang out with them or play golf with people and really cared about them people, but also wasn't afraid to call them out when he needed to. I yeah. love when he went and got Rodman, that little oh, story. <laughs> like, it's just another example of him caring. Because for me, I'm like, you know what? Whatever. But he's like, no, I'm going to force you to be great and get together. But one thing I'll say about Rodman, he was one of my surprises. Him and Scotty Pittman. Because growing up, I knew the name Rodman, right? Because he was so eccentric and all of his antics. Like, I knew of who he was. But Rodman definitely has a depth to him and was a fantastic basketball player. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this was just like this other thing that the media put out there. And I just took on as who he was. I'm like... Hey, but he gets mad respect too, because guess what? How many people could go out to a wrestling match in the middle of the final <laughs> and come back and still do the things? Okay. Not many. So I'm like, not hey, many. I'm not mad at him. I gained an admiration for Scotty, who was so humble. Like even his voice, like he should read some audiobooks and I would like buy them. He can just read the weather to me. It just is a reminder, like these athletes are human. They have lives and backstories and hearts and like hearing about what happened to his dad and then his brother and like growing up in a family where two people were handicapped, you know, and what that meant for him in the game and the money because he's like supporting his family. Yeah. yeah. Ah, wow. Oh, also coaches. I felt like coach Phil Jackson was an unsung hero. I know Michael Jordan is everything, but that coach was so I love good. Phil. And Phil is looking like a snack in these what? days. Okay. okay. <laughs> he said no comment. Okay, Phil. I'm like, you getting better with time. For me, Something that I was most surprised by would have to be the fact that, like, you don't know for sure until it actually happens, but the fact that no matter what you did, it was coming to an end. Mm, kind of like, yeah. like knowing, quote unquote, this is, like, I don't want to put it in the same context, but in a sense, this is your demise. Like, this is your mm-hmm. death day. Like, you know this is going to happen no matter what you do, good or bad. That was definitely something that I was, I would say surprised by. I'm not sure if I would say most surprised, but something that really did hit me is the connection that though Steve Kerr and Michael had there, and I say differences at that time Mm -hmm. when they had that little scuffle, but the fact that both of them connected through the bond of not having their fathers physically present and Michael relying on Steve to hit a game-winning shot Mm -hmm. and like telling him like, hey, they're going to double, which that takes knowing film and knowing how this team operates and remembering what happened the game prior. They're going to double. I'm going to pass it to you. And all Steve Kerr said, I'll be ready. Like it's it's no questions. It's no, no, you take the last shot. You're Michael. And it was so funny where even for their championship parade, where he was just basically like, well, I had to bail Michael out because he didn't want to take the shot. Like, you know, just finding light of the situation, making people laugh and being who he is. Mm -hmm. And again, that work ethic between all of them. Like, you know, everybody is needed. And that's why he's, 
calling everyone to be at your top level. Like he wasn't calling everyone to be Michael Jordan. He was like, I need you to be the best you because we need you. You're on our team. And when the ball gets in your hand, you need to do your best work. I like Steve. I didn't know he was a coach now, but he was really humble because he says something about him not being like the best player or something like that. But he was a hard worker. And sometimes hard work outweighs talent. You can be very talented, but if you ain't willing to put the hard work behind it, somebody can pass you by just by working harder than you. Exactly. I think I shared with you guys that I was excited that we're going to have a part two because I had a book in my office called Sports in Society. And it goes through just the depth of it all. And it talks about this great myth that all sports are essentially pure and good and their purity and goodness are transferred to those who participate in and watch sports. And I think, unfortunately, Michael Jordan had that put on his shoulders. And he responded to that when they wanted him to like be a part of the a political conversation or when they really took him to the table for gambling. It's like, this is my personal life. And a lot of the things he was doing outside of the game, they weren't even bad, but they just wanted him to be this pure and perfect person. And he's like, yeah. no, I'm a basketball player. <laughs> That's what I do well. And everything else guys just put on me. So it was interesting to see how he handled that. And I did feel for him that he was like, this is my favorite time when I'm in my ring, just me and the TV. Because every mm. other time I'm on, and mm -hmm. imagine how draining that is. And yet, he still is the greatest. Very I true. agree. I agree. Oh, one last thing that I wanted to say about Michael Jordan with that whole Steve Kerr situation when he punched him. I appreciated how he went back and apologized. He was like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to call Steve and apologize. And I was like, you know what? Good for you, Michael Jordan. I appreciated that, you know, you did what you did, but you owned up to it and you made it right. True, but... I don't know. As much as I love Michael Jordan, I don't think I could have taken that punch and let it go. I mean, because it gets heated in games. You know, people get aggressive and they get frustrated. I, don't know, I hear all that, but just like I love this job that I have, and sometimes things get heated. So, so this was different, not only because it being sports, but he was getting fouled by Steve Kerr. So it's not like mm -hmm. Steve Kerr did a play wrong and then he yeah. hit him like so he yeah. was getting in a sense fouled or getting hit and he felt that his coach wasn't calling the um, foul yeah. so he was just like okay you're not calling foul on him this is my foul towards him and i'll punch him it wasn't like let's have a fight so it was one of those things of i'm getting hit by this person i'm gonna hit this person back at least that's my take from the outside looking in now though like sharika said he did go and apologize but it's just like there's not too many people who could hit me in today's <laughs> world and or climate and i not Listen, I'm ready. Well, I let God be God. Only a sibling, <laughs> me, only a sibling yeah. could do it. Only a sibling could do it. <laughs> me, I, I ain't going to say what I'm going to do. Well, I'm going to say what I'm going to do. Listen, try me if you want to. I love the shirt and saying that says, save, but I got these hands. Because I will lay them on you if you try me. I am that chick. Have you been in a fight them? before? Uh, yes, I have. You have? And I only fought guys, so try me if you want to. I don't care. Do not discriminate. <gasps> Not our Care Bears. I told them you're the Care Bear of the team. I am. I am. But I also feel like I can beat anyone. I know I can't, but in my heart, I'm like, you know what? I can take you. Listen, I may go down, but I'm going down soon. You're going to get these hits in before I get out. You're going to have to knock me out because I'm coming for you. And I think that's why I am like super emotional because I know I can't get people like I really want to. Oh, well, good. I'd rather you be emotional. I can't have you out here being violent. 
I've I never been in a I physical not, fight ever. I have, have you? But it, even got have several I? siblings. <laughs> Huh? I would well, say, not with the sibling. I'm saying like uh, I've been in spats, little spats with my brothers. Never really my sister, but I've never been in like a outside of like you know. Oh, definitely family. outside of family. I can say there's a couple people who caught some L's from me, and some of them actually listen to the podcast just because they told me that they listen. And so those people, you Shout shall remain them. nameless. Um, I'm not gonna put you out there, but it's some people who be on my social media who. But no. what do y'all do after, just like in that situation, I'm like, I don't get the point of fights because afterwards you're both still mad. Now you're even more mad because you hit each other. Do you just walk away and be like, I'll tell you my one little quick story. It's quick. The last fight I got into was in the eighth grade. So it's been a few years since I've been <laughs> in the fighting game, but I was at school and I was sitting across the classroom. We had a substitute teacher and this guy named Brent was throwing <laughs> something across. Yes. I don't remember his last name. If I knew, I would surely say it. But he was throwing things across the classroom at me. And I was just like, if you do that one more time, I'm going to punch you in the face. I announced this to the whole class. So now he does it again. And I can't look like a liar. So I get up. I walk over to his desk. I punch him in the face. And then I just stood there. Because like you said, what do you do when you do something? So I stood there. He just looked at me. I just looked at him. And I was like, oh, is this it? Okay. So I turned to walk away. The Holy Spirit said, turn around, sis. And I turn around. That man tried to sneak me. Or that boy, because we were kids at the time. That boy tried to sneak me. Well, I'm, you going to try to hit me while I back turn? I stood there. I gave you an opportunity to do something when I was facing you. And now you try to do it behind my back? I turned around and hit him again. And then he was on the floor, crying, wiggling all around. And I just walked back to my desk and sat down. And the substitute told me, I need to go to the bathroom and calm down. And so I went. And that was the end of that. And then I got one in the fourth grade, which I did get beat. I forget what his name was. He did beat me. But guess what? Like I said, I'm going down swinging. It was over a pencil box. That's all I can recall. But that was that. Those were my fighting careers. But I was going to fight a guy at camp one time. He was way bigger than me. My brother and my husband now, but then boyfriend was like, girl, sit down for we have to jump up in here because you out here trying to fight this man that is way bigger than you. And now we all have to be in a fight. So, so now that probably helps us to understand even more. If we could get in a fight over a pencil box or whatever, of course NJ's going to get in a fight if he feels disrespected. That's something else that I was surprised to kind of learn about him, how he internalized every slight and used it as Oh, that was crazy. Lean. Oh, you're not going to say hey to me at this dinner? Bet. And yeah. then my favorite, one of my favorite lines is from the whole thing is when he says, and I took that personally. It's like, Michael Jordan, what didn't you take personally? <laughs> but also, no, okay, it's fine if you take the actual slights and, and turn it as fuel, but don't take imaginary slights. Of course, that didn't why not? even happen. Why not? Over there making up whole scenarios and being <laughs> mad at people and going after them because of something he made up in his own head. But you, have to, you have to get to that point of, and I'm not saying like, make up as in lying people. So don't hear what I'm not saying, but that certain things just don't motivate me anymore. Like me going, I think he got to a point where me going out there winning the game is not enough motivation. So I have to place it in my mind that this person on this opposing team has a vengeance against me, or they're joking about how many points they're going to score or how many they scored or what they're going to do to me, just for me to basically wake up and be great, which that, I don't know, I think that takes a lot 
to get to that point. Because just imagine, we all have probably people who we know we disagree with or people who dislike us. But at least for me, I'm not waking up thinking about that person to be motivated. So the fact that that's what he had to do to be motivated, I think it's just like, it's next level. It's, it's unique cray, in cray. itself. Think about EB, you walking around money your business and somebody is like, I'm going to get EB because in my mind, he did something and you don't even know that they have a slight against you and these people are coming for you behind your back and you didn't even know. We got all type of racists in the world to do that. We absolutely do and Sharika, it's like a reminder of how much the game is also mental. So Mm -hmm. he's going to use that as his motivation and how it impacts you, that's how it impacts you. Like he said, this is the way I choose to do it and it works. It really works. It does, but just the idea that people can do that in a game then that means people must be doing that in real life and that's the scary part so besides mj who would you say was your mvp i would say definitely again kobe to Mm. say that that was like his big brother or that sheer influence that michael jordan had on him and phil jackson's ability to lead the fact that before the season started right when they had their team meeting or whatnot told him to write stuff down and they threw it all Mm. in the bucket and it burned kind of like this is it like whatever is there is how we go at this beast of a last year and again knowing that no matter what i do this is the last one like, i don't know if a, a supervisor or a manager or an owner could come right now to me at my job and say hey i don't care how great whatever you do this year you won't be here next year like i think i would be out by december mm-hmm. like i would mm-hmm. have to find something else if you already placing this label on me that no matter what i do does not matter good yeah. bad or indifferent you're gone like, I don't know if I can be as invested, especially yeah. if I know I'm out. Like, I'm out regardless. Phil was my number one. I was going to say Steve Kerr, but Phil was such a good leader. He reminded me of, like, a parent. He knew how to connect with each one of the players on something different. And he knew that everyone didn't need the same kind of treatment. Everyone didn't excel to greatness in the same way. So he was able to adjust. Like, with Dennis Rodman, he was like, him and I connect on Native American type things and we get spiritual in that way and Michael Jordan needs this kind of leadership and he listened to them like when Rodman was like I need a break he wasn't like you know what no you're not going anywhere he was like if you need mind you he might not have shouldn't have let him go but he was like if this is what you need to be great if you need a break then I'm going to give you a break so that you can come back and be great now they had to go fish him out of a hotel room you know he came back and was able to do what he had to do Phil listened to his players he cared about them and he was able to like be the coach that each one of them needed i just got a sense of calm and peace and like i mean i'm sure you know he was riled up and all that but it was just like a sense of like assurance and just solid leadership and i i heard his name you know phil jackson phil jackson but i didn't really know much about him i really got a great admiration from phil so he was my mvp and then steve kerr with his just humble heart i may not be the best but i'm on the team i made it here so i'm going to give it my best and i'm not looking at what everyone else can or can't do i'm looking at what I can do and I'm putting my hard work in and I'm going to do the best I can do. So I love those two people. I love Scotty Pippen. Listen, his whole back was hurting and he stayed in and he was making nothing compared to everyone else and he stayed in. And that season without Mike, the same thing, I think a theme for all of us is just leadership. Whether you were a player or the coach, they were just really blessed with these strong leaders. Imagine what it would take playing with someone like Michael Jordan and not letting it get to you. And he really Mm -hmm. didn't. I just was really impressed by him and just his work ethic and his attitude and spirit throughout his time with the Bulls. Even when he like left, 
and then it came back. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's not so much about how you fall. It's about how you bounce back. Yeah. It's about how you continue to grow. As hard as it was for him to be like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to get this surgery at this time. Yes, I'm leaving. It's harder for him to come back and be like, uh, just kidding. Because of that, MVP. One of the biggest takeaways was like that flu game when basically Michael Jordan was poisoned and he was just like so sick. And then he still was like, you know what? But I have a duty to the game and my teammates and I'm still going out there sick, throwing up on the IV, all the things. For me, that perseverance through just through everything, people coming for you on the court, but also in your pizza boxes. And this man was like, I won't let that stop me. You're not going to get the last time. You think I was out. You thought you had me, but guess what? I'm on this court and we still going to win. That perseverance through all the obstacles, all the hate, all the anger and everything that people have against you just to persevere regardless was like, you know what, MJ, you got some things right. And I just stand him for that. Do you think he ate pizza anymore during that? <laughs> during that not that at run. that place, not at that, that city that anymore. Run. I know. Yeah. Forget I don't that. think he ate any in Salt Lake City. If I was him, I would have called the pizza company out and I would have pursued them. Say my biggest takeaway, and this might sound cliche, be who you are. Or as people say, live in your truth. I kind of hate that because I'm like, mm-hmm. I hate it. Truth is not like on a sliding scale. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I want to say like live, live your purpose and be unashamed about it. The fact that Michael Jordan was okay with, yeah, okay, I'm the bad guy. That's fine. I'm also the guy who wins. So that's fine. And Phil Jackson was okay with, okay, you're kicking me out, but I'm also a guy who has integrity and I'm not just going to throw away these seasons just because you're doing me this way and even gosh what was his name face jam he was a little short one he was the one that wasn't well liked he's passed oh jerry, oh, jerry Krause. Krause. even jerry name, but, but even jerry he believed what he believed about it's not about the players it's the organization that makes all of this go round and everyone lived in that and they were okay with that you have to be okay with the consequences like the guy mm-hmm. i think was it isaiah who didn't get to play in the olympics even though he mm-hmm. qualified that was, that i did pull for <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. But Jordan you know, couldn't Yeah, that's and that was something else that was a surprise that the beasts were real. But that is one of my biggest takeaways. Sometimes I might get a criticism in the workplace or whatever about being to this or that, and then I'm like, ah, oh, like I wish I wasn't a one, or I wish I was more peaceful, or I wish I was more like Sharika or E B, but it's like, no. <laughs> so fine. So that's my biggest takeaway. My biggest takeaway is a few, but one of them was so his rookie season, he had a great year, got rookie of the year. Second season, got hurt early in the season, missed about 70 mm-hmm. or 60 to 70 or so games. And as he's meeting with Jerry Krause and Jerry Ronzo, was really like, kind of like if you had a terrible headache and nine of the pills would cure you and one was cyanide, like, oh, would you yeah. take it? And his mindset was, well, how bad is the headache? Because if it's a terrible headache, then I'm going to take one of these pills and I'm going to take my chances. But it's ter- headache is something I can go through is I should be okay and how he was saying it's like low management of like you can have me practice my butt off but you're telling me I can't play or you're giving me limited minutes on playing but I'm practicing all day that doesn't make sense to me but one of the things that I noticed whether it be from him bigging up the people around him Mm -hmm. um, whether that was in his speeches whether that was the interviews whether he's saying you don't get Michael without Scotty like, cause he can easily just be the high horse and say, I'm Michael Jordan. Y'all know what I do. Y'all know what I bring to the table. But he was just like, no, like these people made these things happen. And another takeaway for me is being a person behind the shadows. And with that, I'm thinking of Tex Winter 
who is the assistant coach who formed the triangle offense oh, yeah. that had them very successful and productive. But most people don't even know that because they just credit yeah. it to the head coach, which is good. But Tex could have easily came out and say, that was me. Like, I deserve a head coaching job somewhere. Like, yeah. I'm the one who made these things happen. That was my offense. But he just stayed, like, in the shadows of being who he is and working alongside of the great Phil Jackson and associating with other great players throughout their careers. And he stayed consistent, too, because they didn't wasn't trying to hear about that triangle. He was like, you know what? I'm going to hold on to my triangle because it's going to work one day. And somebody's going to take me up on it. And I'm going to keep on going with the triangle. And guess what? Someone did listen and it was able to work. Exactly. And like Michael Jordan was like, you're saying 90% of the chance of taking these pills that would help me be better. That's 90%. Y'all just working on worried about the 10% mm. that I can die. What about the 90 that I can succeed? There's a and word like, in that about the power of perspective. Because, you know, winners focus on the success and the positive and losers focus on the negative. I didn't mm. think about mm-hmm. it that way. That's a real yeah. takeaway, E.B. Thanks for sharing. Y'all ready to go back in the day? Yeah, take us back. Okay, we've been talking about these basketball players and just how awesome they are as people and as workers. And speaking of workers, today we're going to talk about the history of Labor Day. We just had a Labor Day. All of us had good times. But for our listeners, let's just do a quick summary. Labor Day is an annual celebration the first Monday of September that pays tribute to the contributions of American workers, their achievements. It's usually celebrated with parades, picnics, barbecues, fireworks display, and athletic events. Labor Day actually originated during one of America's labor history's most dismal chapters. So picture this, it's the late 1800s at the height of the Industrial Revolution in the U.S. The average American worker is added 12 hour days, y'all, and seven days a week. Mm. That's for a basic living so there ain't no sabbath (laughs) despite restrictions in some states children as young as five or six were working in mills factories and mines across the country earning a fraction of their adult counterparts wages people basically of all ages particularly the very poor and anybody who immigrated to the country recently they often face extremely unsafe working conditions with insufficient access to fresh air or sanitary facilities and breaks. This kind of reminds me of growing up. My dad, if I was like, oh, I have to go to work or, oh, I have to do schoolwork. His follow-up was always, you have never worked a day in your life. He still says that to me and it's so annoying, but he grew up sharecropping. You know, he grew up working hard from the time he was like a kid. Like he dropped out after like middle school, wasn't even drop out because they just had to go to work. Like it just was normal. Mm -hmm. Right. And obviously he wasn't born in the 1800s, but, you know, I've heard about the working hard. So basically, as this continued to increase and manufacturing increased, which supplemented agriculture as the wellspring of American employment, labor unions, which at first appeared in the late 18th century grew more prominent and vocal. They began organizing strikes and rallies to protest poor conditions and compel employers renegotiate hours and pay. So once again, protests aren't like a new thing. People have been mm-hmm. on it to create change yes. because they were being treated horribly. And I can imagine living a life like that. On September 5th, 1882, 10,000 workers took unpaid time off to march from City Hall to Union Square in New York City, holding the first Labor Day parade. Unfortunately, though, many of these events turned out violent during this period, including the infamous Hay Market Riot of 1886, in which several Chicago policemen and workers were killed. 
This May 4th, 1886 rally at the Haymarket Square was organized by labor radicals to protest the killing and wounding of several workers by Chicago police during a strike mm-hmm. the day before at the McCormick Reaper Works. First, I'm like, oh no, please don't let this be the McCormick that does seasonings. Second, I'm like, okay, once again, people have been saying, police, stop killing people for peacefully protest, right? Okay. That's exactly what they were on. So this idea of a working men's holiday caught on in other cities across the country, and many states actually passed legislation recognizing it. Congress would not legalize the holiday until 12 years later, though. So good job, Congress. You know, they're usually speedy about stuff. Uh, But they didn't do it until this watershed moment in American labor history brought Mm. workers' rights squarely into the public's view. On May 11, 18. 94, employees of the Pullman Palace Car Company in Chicago went on strike to protest wage cuts and the firing of union representatives. On June 26, the American Railroad Union called for a boycott of all the Pullman railway cars, crippling railroad traffic nationwide. To break this strike, the federal government dispatched troops to Chicago, unleashing a wave of riots that resulted in deaths of more than a dozen workers. So once again, people are saying, treat us fairly. And the government's like, nah. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy how history repeats itself because now they're talking about sending troops into Chicago again. Chicago, I don't really know what's in the water there. I visited the Bean and I'm good on that because (laughs) too many times they... Too much stuff be popping off in Chicago, like you said. But in the wake of this like massive unrest and in an attempt to repair ties with American workers, Congress passed an act making Labor Day a legal holiday in the District of Columbia and all the territories. On June 28, 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed it into law. So for many of the Americans now, particularly children and young adults, it represents the end of summer and the start of the back to school season. But I don't think I'll ever look at Labor Day the same now knowing that people literally gave their lives Mm. and now we have this day. Like people really had to die. And I think about like the fact that on Labor Day, fast food workers still be working. The essentials still be out there being essential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is very true. So, E.B., what are you expounding upon today? So, I'm expounding, not even going to give y'all a little rundown to waste no time, but I'm expounding on the individual who was invited to our kickback today, the one and only Naomi Osaka. Um, I'm going to just interject here. When E.B. picks his, what he's going to expound on, and when I pick my invite, we don't tell each other it, we like bring it as a surprise, not only to like you guys who are listening, but to each other. So when we're in here like, mm, that's interesting. It really is because we don't know when we're doing our own segments what the other people are talking about. So we are also learning. So I think it's cool that we both picked the same person and we had no idea that we were doing that. That is true. So over two decades ago, when people thought about tennis, when it came to black female athletes in this sport, typically even for many, the only two that they know is the lovely twins of Serena and Venus. And that was just like over two decades, the late 90s when they made their debut. Naomi Osaka did something incredible this past week or last week where she came from behind to win the U.S. Open. And a day later, she looked back in gratitude far further than her past where she tweeted these words. I would like to thank my ancestors because every time I remember their blood runs through my veins, I am reminded that I cannot lose. 
Mm. I don't know about y'all, but when I've seen say that again, tweet, EB. Say, oh, that yeah. again. say that again. I would like to thank my ancestors because every time I remember their blood runs through my veins, I am reminded that I cannot lose. Mm. I'm printing that and putting that up in my office. When she had said I that, like I, I real deal, like I felt that tweet. Yeah. And then as Sharika had alluded, her mother is Japanese, her daddy, her pappy is a Haitian. <laughs> she claimed her second U.S. Open and her third Grand Slam title. And as we continue to talk about people having perspective and people standing up for what they believe in. One of the things that I was amazed by was during her interview with a famous, I guess you could say, tennis pro reporter, Rinaldi, he asked her, what message was you trying to send by wearing those masks? And her response was nothing less than direct and powerful. Well, she said, well, what was the message that you got? <laughs> I feel like the point is to make people start talking because like, don't have me explain myself time and time again. What did you take from what you received? She came prepared, like we talked about earlier, having perspective. She came prepared with seven masks to wear one for each round of the U.S. Mm. Open. And it's seven rounds. So in her mind, I'm not only packing these seven masks just to pack them, but for me to be able to wear all of them and for my messages to be ablazing on every sports channel or every news channel, whoever was reporting the U.S. Open, I would have to win. Mm -hmm. And as she had those seven names of Breonna Taylor and Elijah McClain and Ahmaud Arbery and Trayvon Martin and George Floyd and Philando Castile, and in the final she wore one of, of Tamir Rice, it was mm -hmm. one of those things of just like, sheesh. Like she knew what she brought to the tennis court and she knew what she packed in her bags and was like, I'm wearing all these masks. Mm -hmm. And I know some may be like, well, how does the people feel because of trauma and bringing these things back up? Well, guess what? The families of some of the victims that she chose to represent where her face masks have shared their support via their team and on video messages with ESPN. Yeah. Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin says, continue to do well and continue to kick butt at the U.S. Open. Ahmad Arbery Sr., Ahmad Arbery's father said, Naomi, I just want to, to tell you thank you for the support from my family as we continue to figure all of this out and God bless you for what you're doing. And her response was as simple as possible. It means a lot to know that they care and they are some strong individuals and I'm not sure how I would be able to do it if I was in their position. I feel like I'm a vessel at this point to spread awareness. It's not going to dull the pain, but hopefully I can help with anything they need. Again, listening to her interview when she said, I feel like I'm a vessel at this point to spread awareness. I was taken to this great quote by the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. where he says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. I'll say mm. that again. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. So really, as far as expounding, it's just to be able to be who you are and whatever you feel led to do as far as sharing your voice, whether that's one-on-one -on -one with the people you interact with, whether that's on your social media platform, whether that's a video message, whether that's a broadcast, whether that's at the workplace, at school, whatever you do, make sure you're not silent about the things that matter and yeah. make sure that you're standing on the right side of history and give yourself perspective on not only what's going on in your life, but what's going on in the life of others. Because I'm just sitting here yes. thinking about Naomi. I'm thinking about times when I pack for vacation or trips where I always pack more clothes than I need. But she packed seven masks. She could have definitely packed eight, nine, or 10 because there's way more names 
or she could have just packed two and said, I'm just going to redo these. But she packed seven where she had in her mind that every mask will be a new round and it'll be a time to spread some form of awareness on what's going on in our country. So keep being great people. We appreciate you. That really did move me, you know, almost to tears just to hear the families appreciate what she's doing. I applaud anyone who continues to keep these names out there so that justice can be done and change can happen. My family was in town. My brother is an avid sports fan. And so I've seen a little more sports than normal. And just to see like basketball, they are able to now put whatever they want on the back of their jerseys, whether it's Black Lives Matter or things that they care about, like the quote Evie said, speak up on the things that matter to you. Even in the football teams they have on the back of their helmets, they can have Black Lives Matter or whatever else on the NBA court, it says Black Lives Matter. And my brother was telling me that was like one of the negotiations that they made to come back was like, we're coming back, but when we come back, we're going to be able to say what we want to say. Y'all going to be over here putting Black Lives Matter on the court because we out here Black, and if you want us on these courts, you're going to care about our lives. That's the only way that change is going to come about is if we continue to speak up, stand up, and represent what God has called us to do is mourn with those who mourn, but also to seek justice. Thank you, Sharika, for bringing that to our attention. Well, I'm sure EB already knew because I did not know that they could now put what they felt comfortable putting on the back of their jersey. They're letting it be on the basketball floor. I think that's pretty huge. Yeah, so like on the the courts is basically, you'll see it like if you watch a game, it'll say like Black Lives Matters on the, on the court. And then what happened was with all the social unrest that was going on, some players decided not to play. And they were just saying like, it's too much going on the in the world for me to for me to focus on basketball right now so the nba and the nba pa which is the nba players association they had like agreed on like what are some social justice messages that can be displayed on the back of jerseys and like you have stuff like black lives matter say their name vote mm-hmm. i can't breathe you have some that says like in other languages like si se puede which is yes we can or you have that like haitian american athletes who have like respect the new which means respect us how many more economics like you know all types of education reform be a mentor and so you'll have that on the top then you have the person's number and then the person's last name and there's some athletes who chose not to i guess display any i don't know it's just good because now you're watching this game and you have no choice but to see this on the back of their jerseys and the sports commentators are adamant on talking about systemic racism in our country or what does collective action look like or the platform that the nba is using through this through the restart of just equality and just a just society, which now, by the time people hear this episode, we're down to just four teams left of the 2019-2020 season with the LA Clippers being eliminated this week. So now you'll see the Denver Nuggets and the LA Lakers in the Western Conference Finals and Miami and Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. Not the Nuggets, not the Chicken Nuggies. I can't vote for them. <laughs> I don't really know about basketball. I don't even know their season stats, but I can't go for them. Are they really the Nuggets? Denver yeah. Nuggets. Yeah. We can talk about that later. Well, next week we'll talk about gold them. nuggets, not chicken nuggets. But gold is chicken color. All right. We close out. It's such a huge deal to me that they are allowing them to speak into how they feel about these certain situations. Yeah. Because for so long, sports has been used to reaffirm important ideas and beliefs that American society as a whole or the powers that be want us to have, right? Especially those ideologies related to gender, race, ethnicity, social class, and ability. I mean, think about it. When it comes to 
Gender, for example, sports reaffirm the idea that men are just stronger than women and more rational. Therefore, they're naturally more suited to possess power and assume leadership positions in public spaces, right? Their racial ideologies like intellectual and physiological characteristics vary by race with white people being more intellectually and more superior to black people and all people of color. You hear this debate when they talk about the positions that certain players get in football, for example, mm. like quarterback is like the intellectual position. And usually you will put a white man there. And this is just reaffirming in basketball, you see the same sort of thing. Social class ideology, right? This idea that income and wealth inequality is normal and inevitable because some people work hard and develop their abilities and make smart choices and others do not. Sports reaffirm that because we saw it with Michael, he worked hard, so he won. And so then people believe, well, that just transfers to life. If you work hard, you can run ahead. And we know that's not necessarily true. That's another idea, right? That like, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but society has their reasons. And we talked about even with 13th, that that is not how it really works. Mm. But sports, they use sports as a way to reaffirm this thing that's not necessarily or truth. So and I think it's amazing that they have taken that chance to say, yeah, no, we're going to kind of step away from this. And my brother was telling me like the guy that I don't remember his name now, but he was the one that like back in the day when they were going into last season, the Bulls, he was the one that initiated the filming of Michael Jordan's last season and all that kind of stuff. And now he's the commissioner a basketball EB, do you know his name? I don't know. Oh, Adam Silver? Yes, Adam Silver. And he was just saying like how he's been the best commissioner so far. He is actually a commissioner for the players, not just for the owners and the leadership. That's why we see a lot of these changes in the NBA. He was saying that NFL is a little slower. The commissioner of that is more so for the owners and it's more that I'm doing what the people with the money is telling me to do. And that's why we've seen a lot more pushback with the NFL, I think, when last season, or not last season, but when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and you were having some owners be like, if any of my players kneel, they're out and, you know, that kind of stuff. And they didn't care about their players, but all of a sudden now they sing this new tune because, look, the culture is like, we ain't on that. Yeah, like, and it's not to counter what your brother said, but... Listen, I, would, I don't know. I'm no, 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 no. I, w- I would say, you know how you sometimes say, like, let's wait till it's all said and done before... Like, I know some people, like, give the people their roses while they can still smell them, but, yeah. like, the commissioner before I guess you could say Adam Silver David Stern who has passed away but like he was the commissioner for 30 years and probably advanced basketball more than any other sport known to man as far as making it the global impact I don't know if I can compare the six years or five or six years that I've seen Adam Silver do because I think you kind of don't have quote-unquote a choice when your biggest athletes are voicing their opinion about certain things. Like, I think it's just the times that we're in. So I'm not going to necessarily yeah. say, as far as like well, the but best, right? Though, but like with NFL, when their players were trying to stand up and say something, then people were like, I don't care what you say. You work for me. I'm the owner. I said, get on that field and run that ball. You better get on that field and run that ball. I don't care what you got to say. And some people don't care about their players. And I don't, listen, I don't know any of these commissioners. And maybe during the time of the other guy, you know, he didn't have that much. And I don't know what he would have done in this time. Who knows? I, I applaud more so the NBA than the NFL because now it seems like, oh, we're doing it now because we have to kind of versus like being more on the offense defense. Yeah. I don't know. No, yeah, but like bas- basketball and like not to compare again, not to compare the two. Mm-hmm. Basketball has always been ahead of the curve than the NFL. Yes, that's that what sense. I mean. Yes. And the other part is, if I'm not mistaken, and somebody, one of our listeners, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any African-American owner 
um, in the NFL. Okay. And the NBA has one, but a several in some form of leadership or executive position. That's one of the things I was just actually debating with some of my peers about, of like people are complaining about certain coaches getting head coaching jobs. And I'm just like, why shoot to be the head coach? Like there's president of basketball operations, there's owner jobs available. Like there's other things that African-Americans mm-hmm. or people of minority descent can be vying for, especially in a sport that's predominantly minorities mm-hmm. who play it. So it's just like, you kind of have the leverage in that sense. So Sabrina, what are you recommending today? I am recommending an adult color by number app. It is called Happy Color and it's amazing. I was recently at home for four weeks, not because I got the COVID. <laughs> Some people were <laughs> so I had a minimally invasive surgery, which went really, really well. And maybe next summer in the month of June, we can talk about women's health and fibroids because I really didn't know about that world until it happened in my world. So anyway, long story short, couldn't move and I was on the couch for four weeks and I found this app and I colored so many pictures and it was so relaxing and it is amazing. I colored so much that I am sore, like the tendon in my right hand is sore and it's a little bit swollen because I've been on the app that much, you guys. It's crazy, but it's so (laughs) relaxing. It's so awesome and it's free. So if you've ever been into like the adult coloring books or just loving to see like a white blank canvas come to life you should check out happy color oh, okay that's i was with you until you said your arm was hurting and then i'm like do i want to get on the app now <laughs> no because you won't have like i literally had probably 16 hours a day of sitting mm-hmm. watching gilmore girls and coloring on this yes. app as i was mm. watching so that was a little excessive i wanted to recommend the bible app listen I've been on the Bible app for a while, but growing up, they're like, read your Bible, pray every day, do your devotions. What is that? How do I do that? What's going on? And so I like the Bible app because it gives you devotions that you can read and kind of helps you on your walk with God. And, and it gives you, they have topical devotions on what you may be going through, whether it's depression, anxiety, it has marriage ones, it has joy, hope, whatever. It has all kinds of topical devotions, but they also have like one I'm doing right now. It's not really a devotion, but it's reading plans. I'm doing the read the Bible in a year. As Sabrina was talking about, she's done that in the past. And I did last year was my first year doing that. One of the things that you can do on the Bible app is listen to the Bible. And that's what I really enjoyed doing that. Just hearing the word of God and also reading it while I'm hearing it being read to me. So I love the Bible app for that. And it all, it just is, and it has different, a whole host of translations of the Bible. So you can always see, you know, compare how it's being translated in this version versus that version. And so I love the Bible app. It is so cool. And it has, I mean, it has a lot of devotions, even from celebrities, musical artists, and different things like that. So if you are looking for a way to grow in your faith and walk with the Lord, and maybe don't know what to do, or don't know where you can find a devotional, you don't feel like going to Barnes and Noble and buying a devotional book. And this app is constantly updated with new devotionals and you can also do it with a friend that has the app and you guys can read together and write notes back and forth with each other um 
what you've read and what you got out of the reading and it gives you scripture to read in correspondence with the devotional thought that was given or just accountability if you look, want somebody to just be like yeah i did my part okay you did your part we can both check off that we both did this they have that accountability with the app so i think it's a really cool app so if you are not on the bible app get on the bible app it's a little brown bible if you're looking in your app store at least for those who have an iphone i don't know how it looks at the google store um, <laughs> i don't it might be the same but it might not my recommendation is a lovely documentary called athlete a as we've been talking about sports and athletes um this follows a team of reporters from the indianapolis star as they investigate claims of abuse at usa gymnastics one of the mm. nation's most prominent olympic organizations two years later an olympic doctor many of you may know the name larry nasser a former usa mm. gymnastics national team doctor a former osteopathic physician and a professor at michigan state university college of youth medicine and now a convicted sex offender who is behind bars. The U.S. Congress throughout this is demanding answers and hundreds of survivors are speaking out. It has equal parts devastating and expiring and the film reveals the culture of cruelty that was allowed to thrive within elite level gymnastics. The attorney fighting the institutions and most importantly, the brave athletes who refuse to be silenced. We talked about that earlier. Fought the system and one. On January 24th, 2018, Nazar was sentenced to 175 years in a mm -hmm. Michigan state prison after pleading guilty to seven counts of sexual assault wow. against minors. And one of the other reasons I'm recommending that, and I encourage people to go look at it, just some changes to certain laws in California in regards to sexual offenders and having to register. I don't want to allude too much into it because I have to do my own research and my own digging, figure out what it is. But I just encourage you to go look at it and just seeing what sometimes seem to be cruel and unusual punishment towards our young people or kids within this country and the way that our judicial system does not work in their favor, I would say, mm -hmm. um, for people. So you can just put up like, you know, California sex offender laws, and you'll see new laws or bills that were just recently passed um, within the past week or so. And just, I guess, take it as you see fit and learn from it. Well, guys, thank you for sticking with us through this episode. I hope we got some new sports fans out here. Listen, I'm getting on it. Um, if you want to donate to my Jordan fund, the cash app <laughs> is, uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I will I'm be coming say, through well, put sneakers. me on this too. <laughs> I will be coming through with the sneakers and y'all get ready. I would say just don't be silent about the things that matter. Yeah. I know I said it earlier, mm -hmm. but I feel like I have to repeat that for the people. Mm -hmm. There's things that are burning on your chest and on your lips to share. And also just because we try to push this as well at like the kickback is just try to be informed before speaking about certain things. Yes. Like, you're just not diving into the middle of the ocean and now you're struggling to make ends meet as far as swimming follow us on our social media we are on the twitter we are on the instagram and we are on facebook and leave us a comment we want to hear from you we want to know what you guys think about the episode if you found anything interesting if you had like if you were like nah, i really like jerry crow i don't know why you would but if you want to say that you know add that in the comments we want to go back and forth and hear your thoughts as well so let's engage on social media there we go thanks for listening to the kickback and if you're down with the squad make sure you share it with your people yes. and subscribe to the pod as sharika just 
said, hit us up on our socials or hit us up in our emails because you don't want people in your business, maybe, or DM us <laughs> topics, comments, and questions. As always, if life tries to knock you down, just make sure you kick back. Until next week.